0: With that being said, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in, in prayer. Okay, will you bow with me? Father, we thank you so much that you are the God who is the giver of good gifts. And, and certainly, Lord, we are the recipients of so, so many things at your hands. Lord, thank you for a beautiful day that we have to, to worship you. We live in a beautiful place and, and, Lord, we just we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, even as we've been reminded today, Lord, of the, the freedoms that we enjoy as a nation. And, Lord, we realize those freedoms weren't free. They were very costly. And uh, so, Lord, thank you that we are able to be here in the United States to freely worship you and, and to enjoy all the freedoms that we have. And, Lord, we, we recognize these are gifts from you. And so today, Lord, we just want to thank you, Lord, I do want to pray for, for for Julie and for this entire family, Lord, as, as they mourn uh, the loss of of Barry, and, and just pray, Father, that you would be near to them, that you would encourage them, Lord, give grace to to them during this time, and Lord, I pray, Lord, I, I just pray for each one in this room today, Lord. Undoubtedly, there are there are burdens that we carry, concerns that we have. There's things that are on our hearts, and I. I thank you, that God, that you are the one who has invited us and, and told us that you want us to come before you, that we would receive mercy and grace in our time of need. And so I, I pray, Father, that you would minister accordingly to each one. Lord, thank you that we are able to be here, to, to hear the teaching of your word. And I pray, Lord, that even as we, we spend this time together, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts Lord, I pray if there are any in this room who don't know you as personal Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they'd come to, to understand who you are and, and your love for them. Lord, I, I pray as well that, that you would equip us, Lord, to help us to be better servants for your kingdom because we've been here today. Lord, we, we pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen well hey it 's a privilege for me to be able to open open god 's word this morning uh, Pastor John um, was was able to uh, to, to go and, and spend some time with family he 's got a grandson who who's graduating from from high school and so he wanted to be part of that and certainly are, are glad that he 's able to be with, be with family um, over over this weekend you know we 've we've, um, we've acknowledged you know with the flags and, and acknowledging you know, tomorrow 's memorial day and and as I was thinking about what would be an appropriate message uh, for th- this morning, you know, the whole idea that, that not only we think about those servicemen, but, but as Nathan already mentioned, you know, the fact that our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that, that he came into this world, that, that he voluntarily gave his life so that we could be set free of sin, and so that we can enter into a relationship with the God of the universe, my heart was drawn to, um, to 2 Corinthians uh, 5. And, and in this passage, so if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In, in this passage, we communicated the truths of the gospel. And, and the, the verse that I'm going to focus primarily on is, is verse 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's a lot that's packed in, and we're going to spend some time trying to unpack that this morning. The immediate context of this passage is the theme of of reconciliation, and and what a beautiful word that that is. Reconciliation has to do with removing the barrier that is between two parties that keeps them from having the relationship as they ought. And so what I'd like to do, I'm going to ask you to stand as we, we read from God's Word the context of this, I'm going to begin in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, down through verse 21. So if you have your Bibles, you want to follow along, I think it'll be up on the screen as well. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation. we might become the righteousness of God. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you. You know, we have recently just gone through a, a worldwide uh, pandemic that, that the estimates are uh, around 6.9 million people worldwide died. Um, in 1918 and 1919, there was an influenza epidemic that estimates have that, that somewhere between 30 and 50 million people died. Those are, those are staggering numbers. Um, but you know, there is one plague that, um, that is more widespread and more deadly than all of those combined. It affects every person who has ever lived, and it's 100% fatal. And unlike these plagues, which cause only physical death, this plague causes spiritual and eternal death as well. Of course, the plague that I'm talking about is the plague of sin. Paul the Apostle says it this way in Romans 5.12. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. I mean, The Scriptures tell us that the result of Adam's rebellion in the Garden of Eden is that all people are sinners from birth. David lamented this fact in, in Psalm 51.5 When he writes this, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time that my mother conceived me. You know, Scripture tells us, and David is acknowledging this, that we are not only sinners by nature, which is what he's talking about, but we are also sinners by action as well. Paul says in Romans 3, verses 10 to 12, he says, There is none righteous, no, not one, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then in verse 23, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I mean, notice the all-inclusiveness of these words that Paul uses. He says, none are righteous. No one seeks God. All have sinned. And as a result of our sin, we experience death. Paul says the wages of our sin is death. I mean, Scripture is very clear that there is a barrier between God and man called sin. And God in his holiness cannot tolerate sin in his presence. Habakkuk 1.13 says it this way. It says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, You cannot tolerate wrong. And so the penalty for this sin produces two spiritual consequences. One of them is alienation from God in this life. And the second one is punishment in hell for eternity. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that God is a God of reconciliation. That is that he desires that men would be reconciled to himself. And in chapter 5, verse 19, he says that God is reconciling himself to the world himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And so the question is this, how is that possible? How is it possible that a holy God can remove the barrier of our sin so that we can be made right with God? How is it possible that our sins would not be counted against us? And that's the question that we want to try to answer this morning. In your your bulletin, there's a place to follow along and to fill in some blanks there. So if you want to go ahead and and do that, uh, I certainly would encourage that. The, The first point, then, is that the act of reconciliation was initiated by God. It was initiated by God. In verse 521, it says, God made him, speaking of Jesus Christ. Romans 3.11 says, There is no one who understands, no one who seeks after God. That means that God had to take the first step for us to even be able to see our need of a Savior. The act of Jesus coming to earth to be our Savior was at the will of God. It was at the will of God. Isaiah 53.10, I I remember reading this when I was a student in college and thinking, that verse can't be right. There's there, that, that verse. There's something that is not quite right, and this is what it says. Isaiah fifty three ten says, "Yet it was the Lord's will, to crush him, speaking of Jesus, and to cause him to suffer." The King James version actually says, "Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him." And I remember thinking, "Really, it pleased God that His Son would be crushed." Isaiah, this passage, was prophesied 700 years before Christ fulfilled these words. Scripture tells us that God knew that he would send Jesus to be the Savior before he even created the world. After Adam and Eve sinned, you remember, in the garden, God did not say, oh, no, now what are we going to do? No, no. God knew that he was going to be sending Christ to the earth, and this wasn't going to be plan B. This was plan A. This was always part of God's plan from the very, very beginning. Jesus went to the cross as the outworking of God's plan, that is to reconcile sinners to himself. You remember on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This was the purpo- part of the purpose of God. In the garden, when Peter tried to defend Jesus by pulling out his sword, Jesus rebuked him and said, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And he was speaking of his impending, his impending death. Jesus understood. He understood the mission for which he'd been sent by God. Jesus was born to die to set you and me free. Reconciliation then flows out of God's love for us. It flows out of God's love for us. Some verses we're very familiar with, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 5 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that we have been saved. The emphasis of Scripture is that God, in his love, reached out to us. He reached out to helpless, hopeless sinners. You know, religion tries to tell us that we can be accepted by God by trying to, to our best to be good. But the gospel teaches us that that is not true. I mean, if it, if it were true that we could do good things to be acceptable to God, I can guarantee you Jesus Christ would never have gone to the cross. You know, there's an illustration of the gospel that is given that sometimes, and it goes like this, there's this train that's coming towards a drawbridge, and the bridge switcher finds that his son has fallen into the gears of the bridge mechanism and he has to make this last-minute excruciating decision, either save his son and allow the people on the train to die or to allow his son to be crushed so that the, the, the bridge can be come down so the people on the, save, on the train can be saved. And, and I want to tell you, that's a very dramatic illustration but yet it falls short. God was not forced in a last-minute dilemma to have to make a choice. No, it says that God willed for this. He knew from the beginning that he would be sending his beloved son to die for us. Jesus said that he willingly laid down his life for for us. Jesus said it this way in John 10, 18. He said, no one takes my life from me but I lay it down on my own accord I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again this command I receive from my father so the very first thing that we see in this verse is that the act of reconciliation was initiated to us by God secondly the thing that we see here is that Jesus was uniquely qualified to deal with our sin the verse says God made him who had no sin. Jesus was the perfect Son of God. This was affirmed to us in a number of different testimonies. The first one we have is of the angels. You remember in in Luke 135, when the angel came to Mary to tell her that she was going to give birth to Jesus, the angel said this to her. says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Did you notice what the angels said? The angels described Jesus as the Holy One. Not only the angels, but also the demons. In Mark chapter 1, verse 24, Jesus has an encounter with a demon-possessed man in the synagogue in Capernaum. And the demon in this man cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And then they said this, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The angels know who Jesus is, and even the demons know that Jesus is the perfect, holy Son of God. And then the New Testament writers also attest to the fact that Jesus is the perfect Son of God. In in Hebrews 4.15, we read this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way, yet without sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says he committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. And then the Apostle John in 1 John 3.5 says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus is the perfect Son of God. Now, why does it matter that Jesus had no sin? Because only a person without sin of their own would be in a position to deal with the sin of others. I mean, the only way that a person can bear the sins of others is if that person is totally holy. Otherwise, they're having to to pay for their own sins. In the Old Testament, this is pictured for us Every time the Israelites brought a lamb to be sacrificed, you remember it says it was to be perfect without blemish. These offerings all pointed to Jesus and as, as John the Baptist declared, he said, behold, when Jesus arrived, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. He says, for you know, it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life that was handed down to you from your forefathers. But with the precious blood of Jesus, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Jesus is unique as Lord, and he alone is able to be our Savior. Excuse me. He's God, he is man, and he is completely holy. Because he is God, he is uniquely in a position to reconcile us to God. Because he is a man, he is uniquely able to stand with us as our substitute and as our representative. And because he is holy, he is uniquely in the position of being able to bear the sins who are not holy Jesus is uniquely positioned to be the Savior of the world. There was no one else like him. That's why Paul writes in 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy 2, verses 5 and 6, he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. You know, in all religions, <clears throat> it's their teachings that are supposed to save you. You know, if you obey them, then, then you'll be acceptable to God. But with Jesus, as important as his teachings are, it was the act of him dying that saved us. So we have the act of reconciliation being initiated by God, and see, we've seen here that Jesus is uniquely qualified to deal with our sins as the perfect son of God. And the third thing we want to consider then is how God deals with people to reconciled to him in Christ. The verse says, God made him who had no sin, and then it says this, to be sin for us. To be sin for us. We are only to be able to be reconciled to God because Jesus was willing to be our substitutionary representative. For all who have placed their faith in Jesus' death on their behalf, we have a new standing. We are said to be in Christ. And I don't know if you've read and you've noticed this throughout the scriptures, but I hope from this day on that whenever you see in Christ, you understand the significance of what this means. In Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5:17, Paul describes this as new creations. For all who are reconciled to God then in Christ, three wonderful things are true. The first one is this, God does not count our sins against us. We've already read this in verse 19, it says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. The reason that we can be at peace with God is not because we are without sin, it is because in Christ, God does not count our sins against us. In ourselves, no matter how many good works we have done, we are deserving of hell. No matter how many good works we have done, we will never be perfect and meet God's standard. It is only our standing in Christ that makes all the difference. That's what saves us. That is what redeems us. In Christ, God does not count our sins against us. So what happens to our sins that are counted against us? Well, Second thing that happens to us is that God counts our sins as forgiven in Christ. It says he made him to be sin for us. This does not mean that Christ began to sin while on the cross. He didn't begin to curse and shout out hatred toward those who were crucifying. No, Christ is the holy spotless lamb of God and on the cross all of our sins were laid on him. Sins from our past, Sins from our presence and even sins from our future that we haven't committed yet, they have all been laid on Christ. Colossians 2, verses 13 to 15 says it this way. It says, "'When you were dead in your sins, "'in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, "'God made you alive in Christ.'" And notice what he says. For "'He forgave us all, all of our sins, "'even the ones you haven't committed yet.'" having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Christ was treated and dealt with as though he were guilty of all of our transgressions, and that's why he cried out on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus took the punishment for our sins that you and I deserve, and for the first time in eternity, he was separated from his Father. I don't think we can even begin to understand how painful that rejection must have been for the Son of God. Our peace with God is based on On God's justice. God does not reconcile himself to us by sweeping our sins under the proverbial rug, if you will. No, for justice to be served, the penalty of our sin had to be paid. And Jesus allowed our penalty of sin to be laid upon him at the cross so that Christ could be paid and so that we could be set free from condemnation. That's why Paul writes letter in, in Romans 8.1, he says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those, who again, who are in Christ Jesus. Now that we are in Christ, it would be unjust for God to hold us accountable for our sins since Jesus already paid for them. There's a verse that we're familiar with, 1 John 1, 1.9, and it, that's why Paul says it th- John says it this way. He says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In this verse, God's justice is working for us. It would be unjust for God to hold our sins against us since Christ has already bore our sins in his body on the cross. So the second thing that happens to those who are reconciled to God in Christ is that God counts your sins as forgiven In Christ. The third thing that happens then to those who are reconciled to God is that God counts Christ's righteousness as ours. God counts Christ's righteousness as ours. That verse says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sins were put upon the perfect Son of God and God dealt with him as if he were sin itself. And you and I, as we are sinners, but God's righteousness has been put upon us, and God now deals with us as if we are righteous. God dealt with Christ as he deals with sin, even though Christ is holy, and God deals with us now as he deals with righteousness, even though we are still sinners, because in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God. In forgiveness, our sins are not counted against us. In Christ, his righteousness now is given to us. And some some might ask them, well, well, why didn't Jesus just come to earth as a a 30-year-old man, die on the cross, rise again from the dead, secure our forgiveness, and be done with it? Well, the reason is Christ came to earth as an infant, and he lived the holy life that you and I should have lived. And, and when John the Baptist, you remember, was trying to tell Jesus that, that Jesus should be the one doing the baptizing and, and John shouldn't be baptizing him, Jesus says this to John. He says, "'It is proper for, for us to do this "'so that all righteousness might be fulfilled.'" So that all righteousness might be fulfilled.'" What Jesus is getting at is Jesus came to this earth to live the life that you and I should have lived, and he died the death that you and I deserve to die, and he did that so that when by faith we trust in him, his righteousness is put to our account, and our sins are put to his account. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in Philippians chapter 3. Now, you remember the Apostle Paul has been striving his entire life as a Pharisee. He's been striving all his life to try to be good enough by keeping the law to be accepted by God. But then Paul has this encounter with, with, with Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he sees the ugliness of his own sin, and he, and he sees his self-righteous acts, and in contrast, he sees the beauty of Christ. And this is what Paul says in Philippians 3.9. He says, I Want to be found in Christ. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Faith is what invites us to Christ, faith is what allows us to be in Christ. And so I could ask this question this morning Are you trusting by faith in Christ's sacrifice? for you. The reality is this, it is not how much progress you have made in your Christian life that makes you righteous. You don't pray, read the Bible and do good works to be accepted by God. That's exactly what Paul says he doesn't want. He doesn't want to be found in his own righteousness. He wants to be found in God's righteousness. When we are in Christ, all the right things that Jesus did have already been put to our account. So when we are in Christ, so we can thank God that when we are in Christ, God doesn't deal with us on the basis of our works. He sees Christ, and in Christ your sins are dealt with and therefore can no longer be counted against you. He sees Christ and his perfect life that has been put to your account and to my account. Account. So I could ask this question then. So, why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we do good works? It isn't so that they will make you good enough to be acceptable to God. No, that was settled at the cross. Through faith in Christ, we enter into relationship with God. Our sins are forgiven. His righteous life has been put to our account. So, we no longer have to strive to try to be good enough. So, why do we pray? Why do we read the Bible? Why do we do good works? Because we realize that in Christ, we've entered into a relationship with God, and now we want to grow in our knowledge of Him. We want to love Him. We want to serve Him out of gratitude and love Him for all that He is and all that He has done for us. So what happens if you believe these truths? Well, people who believe this truth, first of all, seek to be reconciled to God through Christ. Does that describe you? Have you ever acknowledged your sin before a holy God and placed your faith in Christ alone to save you? I mean, if you're sitting here this morning and you would say that you have never trusted by faith in Jesus' death for you, then the challenge today is why not make that decision today? If you continue on in this passage, we're looking at 521, In chapter 6, verse 2, Paul says this. He says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I mean, God loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. I mean, what more can he do to prove to you how much he loves you and cares for you than to allow his son Jesus to die for you so that you can be set free from sin and now live for him, live for God. So that's the first thing. People who believe this seek to be reconciled to God through Christ. Secondly, people who believe this message of reconciliation take this message and share it with others. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 and 20, Paul says, and he has committed to us. That's those of us in this room who are believers, right? This message of reconciliation, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you in Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, what's an ambassador? Ambassador is somebody who represents somebody else from a foreign country, from another land, and they have the values and, and what have you from that land. And that's what it's like for us. We are ambassadors. We, we feel it. We feel like, you know, this isn't really our home. We don't really belong here. There's different values and beliefs that we have. But God's led us here specifically so that we might represent the message that God has for us, that men can be reconciled to God through Christ. And that is what it means for us to be ambassadors. Thirdly, people who believe this love Jesus with all their hearts. With all their hearts. You know, sometimes we believe that the the gospel is just for unbelievers, but you realize the gospel is also for us as believers. I mean, Paul is writing this letter, 2 Corinthians, to the church. He's writing it to believers. And he says here, for believers, we need to be reminded of these truths. Why? Because the natural propensity of our hearts is to try to self-justify ourselves is to try to think that we have to do stuff to be good enough. And the gospel message reminds us there is absolutely nothing you can do to be good enough. That's the point of the gospel. That is why Jesus came, and you and I need to continually be reminded of that truth of the gospel, so we'll try to stop self-righteous living and come back and thank God and live our lives out of love for him with all of our hearts for what he has done for us. We need to continually remind ourselves of the gospel truth, even as believers, and then, lastly, people who believe this truth, they no longer want to live for themselves, but they want to serve Christ out of gratitude for all that he has done for them. 2 Corinthians 5 14 and 15, again, in the same passage, Paul says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again from the dead. So we are called to serve Christ out of gratitude for all that he has done. You can serve with freedom because you aren't serving to be accepted. You're serving now because you already are accepted. I'm going to conclude our our time this morning with the words of an old familiar hymn. And this is what it says. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then the last verse says, and when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's stand together and conclude our time we're so grateful for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that the perfect Son of God was willing to come to this earth to live the life that we couldn't live and to give his life on the cross to die in our stead. And not only so we can be forgiven, Lord, but that the righteous life that Jesus lived can now be put to our account. Oh God, I pray, help us as we go from this place to live out of that righteous place that God has, you've counted to us. Lord, I pray for any in this room here who do not know you. Lord, who have never by faith trusted in what Jesus Christ had done for them. Lord, I pray that today would be that day. Lord, thank you for your wonderful love for us. Lord, may we go out Lord, and just express our gratitude, our worship, our love for you and for all that you have done. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.